0: Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower.
1: And I'm Charles Rogers, and we're back with just the two of us. Just After the, the two of us. I
0: don't know the words. I, I don't know. <laughs> <either>. I was going <laughs> to start long. Saying, but
1: like, I don't
0: know. I would, um, I would keep going, but we'd have to pay money to play that song, so I don't want to do that. <laughs> that's true. I do not want to
1: pay any money. Um, exactly. I, we don't make enough from this podcast to afford any <laughs> licensing To afford days. a single song. <laughs> You'll notice that we, we don't use the Star Wars things because we're a little little paranoid about yeah. that. Bradley, do we have any news this week? I, I literally am just realizing we had an a hour-long pre-meeting. <laughs> and I forgot to ask: Do we have any news this week? Um, no. Maybe no. I don't. I don't think so. Uh, I vaguely glanced at headlines before we started. Uh, mostly stuff we already knew. Mandalorian season three has started filming.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at this week in Star Wars. I don't see anything weird.
1: Well, if we don't have really any news this week, uh, Bradley, before we jump into the episode. I don't have the thing Charles fucked up. What I have is the thing Charles said on our last Mandalorian episode that he would double check. And I have. On our episode with Kyle, do you remember we were talking about astrology? Yes. And and we were making astrology jokes. And we were asking, is astrology a thing in the Star Wars universe? Well, I can confirm, Bradley, after three minutes of Googling, (laughs) that it is. And we know this because of a throwaway line in Leia, Princess of Alderaan, is that a very young Vice Admiral Holdo is super into astrology.
0: Oh, That is
1: all we know about astrology is it's a thing. And Holdo was super into it as a a preteen slash
0: teenager. Damn, I thought you were about to tell me like, hey, you were born under the poor rising, you know. (laughs) whatever and i wanted to know
1: was. No. yeah like maybe maybe that would be something for a reference but because you know that the the star wars gaze would be all over that oh 100 we would be, be absolutely like, yeah. all over that i would put it on my my dating app well i guess not dating app nowadays but the thing you actually use dating for apps for app uh bios like just to see what happened it would be great. We would, we would go nuts over that.
0: I know. I'm going to say, I, if any artists out there want to create, like I'm sure they have already, but like if anybody wants to go out there and create like a star Wars Zodiac or like some kind of, you know, constellation map, uh, so that we have like some fun thing to be like, Hey, I'm a, not a cancer, but I'm a poor. <laughs> well, I was going to say,
1: <laughs> I, I might get, uh the artist who does all of our art to do it, but uh, that would either require me to create the thing and explain all of the different animals to her, <laughs> right? Uh, because she doesn't watch Star Wars at all. Ooh, um,
0: yeah,
1: no. Or yeah, she. I would have to. I would have to do a bunch of work explaining that to her, or she'd have to start watching Star Wars, which is not quite as funny. If
0: she knows what she's drawing, maybe we could do. Okay, what if it's what if you do star wars western zodiac but it's all star wars visions themed so instead of gemini it's like the twins and instead of like you know what i mean like you do different Ooh. little things for each episode
1: oh yeah because there's what there's nine of them you could theoretically let's let's solicit some listener <laughs> yeah comments. somebody uh dm us on twitter or instagram or uh email us at gold at gmail.com if you have ideas for a star wars astrology thing and we'll look into doing something with it right that was not our thing we fucked up but the thing that i promised to do more research on so with cool. that out of the way right. bradley would you like to take us into this uh pretty decent episode of the mandalorian Yeah,
0: so today we're going to be talking about uh, Season 2, Episode 7, The Believer. This week, the Mandalorian seeks help from an old enemy. Uh, What's one thing about this episode you liked and one thing you didn't? Uh, I
1: absolutely, absolutely loved the visuals and the production design on this episode. Everything from the scrap planet uh, resembling Bracca and Roxas Prime, which I absolutely love that whole aesthetic, to... The kind of taco Donna, but imperial look of the re- refinery. Like I just, I loved that. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. One thing I didn't like, uh, it's a natural consequence and I'm not sure I'd change anything about it. You know what? No, I, I would, cause here's the thing. I, I was gonna have a note all the way at the end but I'm gonna say it now. The concept art for this episode, specifically the one of Finnick Shannon and Cara Dune, which shows them, like, surrounded by stormtroopers, back-to-back blasting, is so fucking badass. And then in the episode itself, they have some fun dialogue moments at the beginning and the end, but they mostly just, like, sit on the ridge and snipe people, which, don't get me wrong, is badass. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like, they could have upped the stakes for those two characters a little bit more because Boba stays on the ship the whole time, which is fine because Slave 1 does get to do something awesome. But I feel like they had maybe planned in the conception phase for these two characters to be a bit more involved than just sniping from the ridge. But for whatever reason, when they made it to the actual episode itself, they were like, well, we need to focus more on Mayfeld and Mando. And so as a result, the other characters got a little bit sidelined. So that, that would be one thing, maybe not that I disliked, but maybe one thing that, that could have been for this episode and wasn't. What about you? One thing you liked and one thing you dislike.
0: Um, yeah. I kind of agree with you with the dislike. I, I do think that the, the quote side characters got, sidelined in this episode but not in a total detriment to the characters i i think that like yes this episode was solely focused supposedly like on that relationship between mando and mayfield so i I can't be too mad about it because they did have some really really good character moments in this episode especially with mando and mayfield because he just mayfield brought it out um, oh, to our oh, yeah. delight, you know, so. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I can't be too mad about that. Um, I will say, yeah, I think if the one thing I would have liked more is if they would have gave us, of course, more Fennec Sham, I think that would have been doable in this episode. There's something, I feel like there's places where they could have bumped her up just slightly more and then it would have been cool. Um, But one thing I really liked about this episode um, was actually the flip side of the story so we have our characters kind of infiltrating the enemy you know behind enemy lines right and I love seeing the inner workings of the empire I love seeing like just everybody who works for the empire just acting like this is their job this they're normal like this is fine like we're not doing anything bad like this is our you know we just doing our job you know kind of thing and I like, you know, going in the cafeteria and eating lunch. Like, I like, you know, everybody's cheering for the their trooper, fellow troopers, because they made it out alive after pirates started to attack them. You know what I mean? Like, so I like that.
1: I've had the distinct displeasure to work for uh, several corporations. And it does remind me a lot of, like, company culture, looking at the way that the imperials act and the way everything is set up it's kind of a military cross with like a company culture type thing which is interesting to see what one of these bases that's a combination of civilians and imperials actually looks like
0: yeah i I think it was just so fun because i again i I liked um i like how everybody in the empire is either an asshole or an idiot like it's so great (laughs) Well, you got a thing
1: we made the point all the way back in season one, episode three, what type of person is joining the empire five years after the battle of Jakku, somebody who's either an idiot
0: or an asshole. <laughs> I know. And I love it. It's, it's so much fun. I, I do wish though, I know that we're kind of still in the throes of the old empire. So not, they're not, uh, there's not a ton of women around, but I think that's one thing I, I miss with this episode. I think is that lady Imperials, I like seeing them because um, I feel like they're always the best characters. So it just depends on, like, because I think it's the, is it the comms officer? It's a comms officer that shows up right at the end. That's like right, Moff Gideon's
1: yeah. I love right her.
0: hand. So I, I think things like that, I want more of that because they're kind of slowly getting into that, I guess, you know, with the First Order. but it's, Yeah, this is this is an old school, like...
1: This is an old school like empire, like original trilogy right. era. Yeah, maybe, maybe all of them were like competent. So they went off to the unknown regions to to found the first you order. Know what? Remember these are canon. the ones, these are the imperials that got left behind. These are the ones that Gallius Rax was like, Yeah, y'all can stay here and die.
0: You know what? I like the headcanon of all minorities and women. And just generally anybody who wasn't an old white man got to go to the First Order and everybody else got left behind.
1: Or at least the initial institution that devolved into what the First Order would be. Because yeah, Gallius Rax's thing was the ones who were competent at their job can come form the new empire with me and the rest of you can stay behind. Right. And other than some, uh, some exceptions... Um, off Gideon it seems like they mostly mostly left the old white men at least on this base right which ends up uh biting them in the ass later on in this episode (laughs) all right you want to take us in so we can knock out the details of this in our ridiculously microscopic way that we do
0: um, so our episode begins on the Carton Chop Fields, where our new Republic security droid walks up to Miggs Mayfield, who is serving out his prison sentence. The droid releases Mayfield into the custody of Marshal Kara Cynthia Dune, who has a job for him. After being racist and confusing Boba Fett with Mando. He begrudgingly agrees to help despite not actually getting anything out of this deal. So did you notice the crane again? Yes, I did notice the crane again. And I was like, you get a way better shot of it, I think, in this one. Or at least it's more recognizable as the legs in this one. So I did
1: recognize the crane immediately, but I had to have it pointed out to me later that that is actually the ship that's flying overhead is the same type of ship that they the prison ship that they break into season one. Nice. And then the prison droid is, I think, the same prison droid.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I actually, I, the only reason why I noticed that is because when they show him walking, um, you notice the, they show the legs first and the legs look like K2SO's legs. It's like the same body-ish. And so that's why I recognized it instantly. And I was like, oh, that's the same one.
1: A big theme of Mando and, and some of the other like stuff set in this era is kind of empire new republic to the guys like totally on the ground like the lowest of the low people it doesn't really matter to them it's all the same it's all the same somebody's in charge their situation hasn't changed whatsoever so that being like the k2 legs is just an interesting way of highlighting that
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of like um like, if one regime falls, another one takes over, you kind of have to use the same stuff. It's not like, you know, it doesn't just, like, oh, we have to give a facelift to every single thing we have just so everybody knows we're not Empire. Like, no, that's not how it's going to work. Like, so it makes sense that, like, hey, probably these security droids are just recycled droids from the Empire. They're just painted differently or whatever, you know?
1: Especially if you just fought a damn near 25-year-long insurgency. Mm-hmm to put yourself in power. Yeah, you're going to have to make do with what you've got. Right. Uh, Shout out to Boba Fett's uh, painting
0: skills. Yeah. um, So can we theorize that uh, at least there's been some kind of, not time jump, but enough time has passed where Boba Fett was like, you know what, I'm going to take the time and just polish myself off, like make myself look really good. I'm, I'm imagining like they're sitting in hyperspace and they're
1: sitting in those chairs that we see in the scene in the Slave One. Mm-hmm. And everybody's got a piece of Boba's armor. And they're like, yeah. it's Shin and Din <laughs> and Boba Fett. And they're sitting there in complete silence each painting a piece of Boba Fett's armor with the spare, like, wall of a matte painting that he has in the the cargo hold of the ship, just in case. They're not saying a word to each other, and it is the best trip that any of them have ever
0: been on. I like to think that that's true. Um, I feel, though, a lot of people didn't really like this at first. It was a bit jarring, like, for me watching the episode. I was
1: like, oh, because I had gotten so used to the like kind of faded armor from the original trilogy because he, he didn't do a very good job upkeeping it in the original trilogy. And then we've got the kind of weird, I've been through the Sarlacc armor from episodes one, two, and six. And then suddenly he's like got this beautifully painted armor again. It was a bit jarring.
0: Yeah. And I think too, it just doesn't, I think the matt. I think they painted it like kind of like in a matte finish. And so it kind of like, it's a weird, almost like they didn't, they didn't finish the painting. Like you're almost thinking like, why didn't they add a little roughness to it to make it have texture or something? Like it looks too smooth almost. I think Boba Fett would do
1: an adequate job of, of painting, of miniature painting uh, if if Boba Fett played Warhammer 40 K. But I don't imagine he'll be winning any prizes for it anytime soon. I also thought they probably only
0: did this because they just wanted to sell more toys. So you could be like, here's dirty Boba and here's clean Boba.
1: (laughs) No, Star Wars is about merchandising. Never, (laughs) never thought of that before. Uh, That's a question for our nerdy audience is, what group do you think Boba Fett would play if he played Warhammer 40K? Please don't talk to me about Warhammer 40K. You will not like my opinions on it. So here's a question that I had. Uh, They said they need Mayfeld. Which, side note, is it Mayfeld or Mayfield? Because I say Mayfeld.
0: Um, I mean, it's spelled Mayfield, but I mean, I don't know if it matters.
1: We are already getting a reputation as the guys who can't pronounce things properly.
0: Mayfield, Mayfield, Mayfeld, Mayfeld. I think it's Mayfeld.
1: No, that doesn't make sense because that's not how it's spelled.
0: It has to be Mayfield.
1: Let's, let's do this. I'll keep saying Mayfeld and you can keep saying Mayfield, and one of us will be right.
0: Okay, you know what? And then that way, nobody can say anything. They can only yell at one of us for getting (laughs)
1: it wrong. So Mayfield says that he has to, they need him for the Imperial procedures and, like, protocols. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Here's my question. Does the Empire just never change it, their, their protocols? Like, they changed them once in Bad Batch. Right. When Tech tries to slice in and sets off the alarm because the base uh, in the War Mantle episode has changed the codes. But in Rebels, they're still using codes 15 so years later that Cody and Rex developed. And here, Mayfeld hasn't been an Imperial sharpshooter since at for at least... Like four or five years, probably as long as eight years, because we'll get into how long Operation Cinder was ago, which if he deserted around Cinder, that was eight years ago, nine years ago. Did they not like did did they not change the protocols at all?
0: I think that it probably I think on the on the basis level, like just the base level or whatever, everything is pretty much the same. Like the generic like this is how we do things, you know. I I think, like, if you went to the Imperial Academy, like, that stuff is pretty much the same, and then maybe there's a few things that are different, but I think, especially when you're on a secret base that's not supposed to be there, you know, they don't really have time to change to, like, the most modern kind of tactics or whatever, they're kind of just stuck with their own little circle of people, and so they kind of just kept things the same, because why change a broken thing, you know?
1: I feel like it's it's a testament to the slow moving imperial bureaucracy, right? So I've I have two more notes on this little section. Uh, The first is it's it's very interesting that we actually see that the inside of Slave One rotates.
0: I think everybody's brain just exploded when we saw mine certainly did. I went,
1: (laughs) wait, what is what is are they in the the middle of the what's
0: go? Oh, the ship is rotating. Because the only time we've ever seen the slave one was in back in the prequels. And it was We saw the cockpit. Right. We saw the cockpit and we saw them. It looks like they're kind of laying back, like it's almost upside down. So it makes sense. And we're like, oh, they have to like climb up a ladder or something to get to it. Or like it has to always be awkwardly like (laughs) upside down, or like, and now we get to see that, like, oh no, the ship just kind of articulates based on where you need to be the inside of the
1: ship like rotates based on where down is supposed to be
0: yeah i know it's so it's so odd to think about but
1: i want to see a cross section i have it i didn't look for a cross section of this before we started recording but i badly need to to know how this works my last note for this sequence so bill burr is really fucking good in this episode like just as an actor, it's very yeah. clear from the way he pronounces things. And also, if you have Googled Bill Burr for five minutes, you know that he does not give a shit about Star Wars at all. Mm-hmm. But he absolutely brought his A-game where it counted in this episode.
0: For sure. I think it's also a testament to him, too, that like you don't need to be a fan of something to do a good job in the, mm-hmm. in the thing that you're in. Like, as long as you're a good actor or you're trying, like, you can do a good job, especially when you have a franchise that is so near and dear to the fanboy's hearts, you know, that you can mess up if you just look at an alien the wrong way in the episode. You know, they, he did a good job with that. I, I applaud him for at least trying, you know, especially as a non-fan.
1: Right, as, as somebody who's made jokes about how actively hostile he is to turn around and and do such a good job with this episode really is kind of a testament. And we've talked about on previous episodes where we talked about how how Giancarlo Esposito clearly thinks that Moff Gideon's first name is Moff. You don't need to be super well-versed in a franchise to do a good job of acting in it. And like with Mark Hamill in The Last Jedi, you don't necessarily at the time that you're filming need to have a totally positive thoughts on what you're filming to bring your a-game to it right and in the case of bill burr i will keep my opinions on the man out of star wars to myself but in terms of the context of this particular episode he did bring his a-game where it counted
0: up next, the Mando crew devises a plan to steal an Imperial juggernaut so they can sneak inside their refinery and access an Imperial terminal where they can get the coordinates of Gideon's star cruiser. But because of plot reasons, Mando and Mayfield are the only ones that can infiltrate the base.
1: In fairness, I do love the plot reasons. <laughs> <laughs> that might be my, fav- my second favorite scene in the episode. It's, it's really? not my favorite, but it may be my second favorite scene in the episode where they're all going around in a circle. It's like, well, I can't go because I'm a former rebel drop trooper. Well, I can't right. go because the ISB knows who I am. And they turn to Boba Fett and he's like, yeah, I think they're going to know my face.
0: <laughs> well, that one was a weird line too, right? So that brings up a lot of questions for me because are you like, okay, so... What we can argue by this point in the timeline, right? All the clones are either dead or old fucking men. Like, there's no way that they're not, like, retired by this point because of just the uh, the fast aging. You have to argue, like, how many people in the Empire know what a clone looks like?
1: So, it's not necessarily about the people, the reason they give is that the thing is going to scan your face and if it scans your face and isb has you in their database and and you're not registered as an imperial then it's going to flag you right or at least you're if you're registered as someone who's worked against the imperials they're going to flag you so if they scan his face the very early stormtroopers Or at least the early empire used clone troopers so they're gonna know Mm -hmm. they're gonna know what a clone trooper looks like the system is and is gonna ping him as a clone
0: and then my other question is too like out of all of them the only person who could scan their face then would have to be mando because if mayfield scans his face would they not pull up his registration and be like oh you're, you were a former whatever, and you, you I'm deserted. Gonna, I'm going to guess he's probably listed
1: as KIA or MIA. Okay. I'm going to guess that's probably what's going on, is he's listed as KIA gotcha. or MIA, so he wouldn't be necessarily flagged in the system. Gotcha. The way that somebody who's actively hostile to them is going to be flagged in the system. So let's talk about Rhydonium. <laughs> okay. Do, do you know where Rhydonium is from, Bradley? Is it from (laughs) Rhydon? So I don't know. I didn't really look at like what Rhydonium actually is in universe. But it it was a big part of an episode, an early episode of Star Wars Rebels. Mm -hmm. But it didn't actually originate there. It originated in the Clone Wars. And you don't remember that. No. Because most people don't remember that because the arc in which Rhydonium was first introduced and created the biggest explosion in the series was the D-Squad arc. And I can tell from your facial expression in the Zoom call that you don't know what the D-Squad arc is.
0: I'm, you gotta keep going. Like, I, I'll get it. You just gotta connect it for Do me.
1: you know those four fucking episodes with the droids and the tiny little alien that's inside of them? And it's R2. And there's one episode that's literally just them walking around a featureless white void for 20 minutes.
0: Okay, this is starting to come back to me.
1: No one watches these episodes on rewatch unless you're absolutely 100 doing a full chronological rewatch. You have no idea what series of episodes I'm talking about. It's I, just proving I, my
0: point. <laughs> <laughs> I visually, I can see like R2D2 on some kind of white landscape. I don't yes. know what, like, I don't know what else it would be.
1: They they go to the white landscape and then they find Gregor and he's a dishwasher on this random white planet and then at one point like blows up the ship but it's a big explosion well trust me if you've seen Clone Wars this happened it was not a fever dream this was real gotcha uh I love how nobody thinks Bill Burr is funny in this scene like he cracks a joke about Mando's temper and it's like everybody looks at him like what the fuck are you on about
0: What's funny, too, is he kind of gave me, like, in a weird way, he gave me, like, Han Solo vibes. Like, he kind of, like, gave me this, he's trying to be, he's trying to make light of the situation when he knows it's shitty. Like, he knows that they're in kind of a very, like, life or death kind of situation, but he's kind of trying to make the best of it because he knows he probably is going to die soon.
1: The difference is that Han Solo is
0: likable and Mayfeld is an asshole right and they all kind of act like that too they're like i don't really like this guy
1: uh my final note for this sequence is that i i just love hearing Tamura morrison's voice come out of boba fett on screen oh yes i'm just so happy to see that
0: i just like him just being there
1: (laughs) i again i i was opposed to boba fett as i explained last week showing up in this show um I was opposed to bringing him back at all. And now that he's here uh, directly in front of me, you know what, you know what it's like, Bradley? It's like when it's 1130 at night and you've got a grinder date that comes over and he's kind of meh and you're sort of meh on it, but you've had a couple of shots. So you're like, why not? And then he shows up and he's fucking hot as shit. And you're like, oh, your pictures did not do you justice at all that's how i feel like uh seeing boba fett back
0: what reality are you living in where that ever happens that'll never (laughs) happen i have had that
1: happen i have had that happen i have had grinder dates where their pictures are like meh and then they show up and i'm like oh my god no what is this
0: i disagree with reality that you are presenting (laughs)
1: This is, this is my reality, Bradley. This is the reality that I'm living in. This has happened to me. Oh my God. You can't relate because I know where you live and this hasn't happened to me where you live. Right. This has happened other places.
0: Up next, the plan is enacted as Mando and Mayfield take over a juggernaut posing as two troopers. They drive the juggernaut to the refinery only to be attacked by pirates. Just as they make it to the refinery, they are saved by Imperials, who helped take out the rest of the pirates and unknowingly helped them sneak inside the base. The red piece of armor on Mando's arm
1: might be my favorite piece of production design in this entire series for the Imperials. Why is that? Hands down. Have you seen Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, Bradley?
0: Oh, you mean the the part where... Uh, Han Solo gets frozen in carbonite and he has a fever dream while he's in carbonite. Yes. Have you oh, seen, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That totally seen that totally
1: Star Wars canon fever dream?
0: Yeah. That deleted scene that they. <laughs> yes. Put in the, that the they extras. just turned
1: into a whole movie. Right. So do you remember the scene where they infiltrate the Nazi rally in, oh, that, no. in that movie? Uh, okay. It's probably been a while since you've seen yeah, it.
0: I, I haven't seen those movies in a long time. I
1: believe it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Actually, it, it might have been Last Crusade. Hmm. It's It's been a while since I've seen the movies. But there's a scene in one of those two movies. I think it's Lost Ark, where um, it's either, yeah, I'm not 100%. Point is, there's a scene in the Indiana Jones movies where he infiltra- has to infiltrate a Nazi rally. And the way they get in is they put the red Nazi armband on ah. to sneak in. Because that was a thing that if you look at the SS uniforms and you look at the the Nazi uniforms and you look at Nazi Germany, the red armband was a signifier of your allegiance to the Nazi party. And the transport driver having the red kind of arm thing on their transport is a subtle thing like calling them stormtroopers it's a subtle connecting of the empire to real world fascism and Nazi Germany. Hmm. So I, when I realized like, Oh, it's the, the red armband. I was like, Oh yeah, the empire are fascists. This would make sense. This is a neat design choice to have that be incorporated into the armor.
0: Now that you say that, I feel like if I ever had the chance to, do some kind of design or make that kind of choice where i would make like the bad guys all have something in common like i think that'd be a fun like little nod like i do like a little red armband or something like
1: the empire yeah like the empire has these beautiful little nods to it's the empire specifically they don't really do it with the first order but the empire is explicitly directly tied
0: to the nazis yeah i was trying to think like there's the um what is it the I think it's the stormtrooper captains, maybe or something, where they have that weird kind of collar that kind of goes onto yeah shoulder. the orange plating. Right, that's kind somebody, of vaguely like that.
1: Yeah, somebody who's more versed in World War II history than me. Uh, I'm not really a big World War II guy, mostly because a lot of strange, uh, strange history men that tends to be their thing. And so anytime someone brings it up, I'm like recoiling away (laughs) in judgment. Uh, But somebody who's more versed in World War II history may be able to point out, the only ones that I recognized are the red armor piece that looks like Mm -hmm. an armband and then the literal fact that they're called stormtroopers.
0: Right. And I noticed too, so in these outfits, that they're wearing, these particular armor pieces, their helmets. They're not the same as, obviously, regular stormtroopers. So these are, I I mean, these are just pilot helmets?
1: These are or? new. So these are some sort of okay. transport crew, which we've never seen before. Got so it. So these okay. are completely new. Uh, shore troopers show up at the end, which, right? why are they there?
0: Maybe Is this this the armor they
1: had on, on hand? Like, there's no shore.
0: Right. I was thinking maybe we could just cause jungle-like. Uh like jungle-like
1: kinda... there's a lake, but like yeah. I didn't really see like a beach to the lake. Hmm.
0: I, don't
1: know. I don't know. It's hmm. Uh I do love talking of the helmets. I do love yes. how how Mando is so over Mayfeld shit, even <laughs> in the helmet like his body language and everything just makes it work let's talk about mayfeld's entire conversation with Mayo. okay
0: i was gonna say we could talk about this probably for an hour but let's let's get into talk it about
1: now, this it. specific conversation for an hour uh where everything mayfeld says is correct
0: everything he says also i everything love that they had right. to i love how they had to in the scene uh be like oh i can't wear this because my fucking uh it's too hot in here. Or I can't see anything or whatever. Just to distinguish Mayfield from Mando the whole entire like scene mm-hmm. so that we knew which one was which.
1: Well, Mayfield raises, like Mayfield's an asshole. Like the guy is just a piece of shit. But he raises so many good points during this conversation that it stunned me when I rewatched these episodes. Because the first thing he points out is that whether it's the Empire or the New Republic or whatever, uh, the people who settled the land to whichever group is moving in to exploit it for their own purposes, it does not matter to them whether or not it's a democracy or it's an authoritarian state. They're just going to see them as the people who are invading our land and hurting us. And then he brings up the point that Uh, He says the bit about Mandalorians believe one thing. Alderaan believes another thing. Neither of them are there anymore. And then he also brings up the point that like, there's always going to be somebody ruling and there's always somebody going to be ruled and the world aren't going to be able to really tell the difference. And then he has my favorite exchange because a big theme of this season has been deprogramming Mando. Mm -hmm. And how he reconciles the challenges to his worldview in the cult with reality. And Mayfeld, for one of the first times in this, directly calls him out on this. And points out, your rules seem to change when you get desperate. Because first it's, I can't take this helmet off. And then it's, no it's fine to wear a different helmet you just can't see my face right and mando when you have a direct challenge like that mando gets really defensive about it
0: Mayfeld's right and i'm wondering too like he because when he he does specify he goes like he's like hey which one of these rules is correct because you're not like you're, you're not as clear on the rules why can't i see your face or is it just the helmet is sacred so don't take off the sacred helmet, but now you can wear some Joe Schmo's helmet like to cover your face because you know that's just what it is. You, you just can't see your face because that's the rules.
1: Mayfeld Mayfeld is uh is raising the points that we've been making throughout the entire second season watch of this. Right. It's like what is the rules exactly?
0: And I don't what think is Mando knows. in
1: the creed exactly.
0: I think that's the thing, man. I don't think Mando even knows what it is. I think he's just going based off his ideology being taught as a child, like just don't take off the helmet. So his thought process is, you know, the rule is don't take off the helmet. Well, in this situation, as long as my face isn't showing, well, we never said you couldn't show your face. We said you couldn't take off the helmet. You know, I don't think he necessarily knows the rules because there aren't any rules. Like it's just a, like a weird, thing that someone told him one time and so now he and ran he's with adopted
1: it, it. he's yeah. like adopted it as gospel but he doesn't know what he's adopting exactly in a season about deprogramming this is an interesting moment just because it's that challenge that jams just a massive hole mm-hmm. in his entire ideology to directly challenge and be like what is the rule He's all about, I need to follow the rule. I need to follow the rule. Okay, what is the rule? And Mando has no answer. He just gets really defensive, probably because he's not confident in the answer. A couple of minor, minor little notes here. I love the <laughs> proceed with caution. It has such like corporate vibes
0: to it. Well, I, I love the the voice on the radio the whole entire time. Um, is really funny because she's very much like, just keep going like it's fine nothing's wrong and then like they see an explosion and then it's like okay well transport Proceed two is golfing. done like keep going oh transport three is gone all right nope maintain your course like we just need you guys to get there <laughs> transport four is exploded like you know what i mean like it's just funny how it keeps going transport down. four
1: is exploded
0: right. be
1: on the look for some right. minor uh fluctuations of your horizon <laughs> as this giant explosion is happening I love it. the transport running over the guy yes, and hearing it's like a the crunch. Poop. I was like, oh, yeah. kind of Any, anybody who's ever accidentally run over like a, a possum or something on the highway, you know, this feeling it, it's deeply uncomfortable. Uh, and then finally my absolute favorite moment of this entire sequence. Cause there's not a lot to write home about. It's a, it's a good action sequence. Absolute favorite moment mando forgetting that he's not wearing beskar
0: he just goes right into the action he's just kind of like
1: all right shoot
0: me i don't care
1: at one point the, the guy whacks him and like actually throws him off because he's wearing the shitty transport driver armor instead like what were we talking about there was a previous episode where we were talking about how he was getting complacent with the beskar hmm. i think it. i think it was episode six of the first season where we're talking about how the best guard will just deflect this shit, so he's changed up his
0: fighting style. Oh, you know what's funny? It may be the prisoner episode. Because I think that's that, what it is. That's, that's where he was episode. running down the hallway, and he was just kind of like, "Well, I think can just shoot me because I'm wearing the best car." Like he's adopted. He's adopted
1: his fighting style, and then when he has to adopt back, it doesn't really work. Right,
0: and that's just funny how that uh, those because we'll talk about why these two episodes connect later um with the director um but it's just funny that yeah i think that was also the episode that that happened was the prisoner episode once inside the base the pair are cheered and saluted by imperials they find their network terminal inside the imperial cafeteria but mayfield recognizes an imperial in the corner his old field officer inside and is afraid of getting caught din offers to go instead but to do so requires the removal of his helmet
1: the empire the people who are in this space for the empire are like a bunch of fucking fanatics and it's genuinely frightening <laughs> like if you read the subtitles of what they're actually like shouting they're what shouting they're saying, like yeah. glory to the empire yeah and things and i'm like yikes yikes
0: <laughs> Oh, it's funny, too, listening to them because they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe they did that. Like, that's great. Like, it's weird listening to the things that they say, because I did have the subtitles up. and I was reading them and I was like, those lucky extras got their little lines in.
1: Yeah, I I was listening. I was like, knowing that the guys that are left behind here are not the first order. We kind of we don't know a whole lot. So it's, it's, I theorize that Gideon is working for Thrawn, but it's also possible that Gideon is working for the First Order or Gideon is working directly for Palpatine. Something might be going on there. We can reasonably assume though that these guys are not First Order. Uh, That they're just super into the Empire nine years later. That is an uncomfortable thing to see. It's like, you're still all about this why it's either because you're an idiot or you're a bully
0: yeah I, they they're also kind of like fanboys and yeah it's weird like they're like they're almost like fans of the empire like they saw everything that went down and then once the emperor died they were kind of like you know what i kind of want to take up the cause like i i feel bad that that happened like i'm going to join the empire now that the empire you know the emperor's dead like i'm going to you know get back in there and help when i can you know
1: Well, the Empire's thing is that they're like, oh, we're bringing stability. Mm -hmm. So that's their sales pitch is they're bringing stability. And if you look at the Empire of this era, they're recruiting people by saying they are looking for people who are saying like, well, the New Republic took over and everything's in chaos. Nothing. The New Republic doesn't have the military. They don't have the reach. They don't know what they're doing. Man, I, I sure miss when the Empire was in charge right Uh, everything was oppressive but at least it was stable and it didn't affect me personally right which is an extremely frightening thing that actually happens in the real world constantly so to see it here even at the tiny like throwaway lines that if you just watch the episode and you're like oh they're cheering for them it's still a kind of a weird scene but if you listen to what they're saying and how invested in the empire they are it makes it that much more uncomfortable so pedro pascal has to take his helmet off
0: yeah um so this was a big deal in the terms of not only the character but in terms of like we've only seen pedro pascal with his helmet off the one time so it up until this point and we're like, whoa, we get Daddy Pascal for a whole, like, you know, like a whole like minute and a half of his face.
1: I would say this is the moment where the deprogramming reaches something very close to a pinnacle. We mm-hmm. will get the, the final abandonment yeah. of his fanatical beliefs in the next episode. But I would argue that, that this is the moment that cemented that when he takes the helmet off here. Right. Because he's presented with a choice, the essential choice for this character. You leave the helmet on mm-hmm. and you lose the child or you take the helmet off and you maybe get the child back. He doesn't have a lot of time to consider. It's almost a gut reaction. Watching it back, there's no hesitation. It almost seems like He knows from the moment he says, give me the stick, what he's going to have to do. Right. And he leaves the helmet on as long as possible. But the second they're like, you got to
0: take it off. Yeah, it's off. You got to just go with it. I like how there is a sense of urgency, too, because he he leaves it on for that one second. and It scans his face with the helmet on for one second. And then it's like error. And then that's when, you know, the guy in the corner kind of like goes, oh, something's going on over there. And then he has to like take it off real quick and then scan his face and it's just like i don't know he i feel like like you had it he had to do it in that exact moment otherwise it was done
1: part of the tragedy of of the episode and part of the the sheer genius of it is if he had just taken the helmet off before it scanned right it wouldn't have the guy wouldn't have noticed him exactly the guy wouldn't have paid like he was already kind of looking at him but he really piqued his interest when when the machine started going right So he probably would have had enough time to take the helmet off, scan it real fast, and put the helmet back on. Mm -hmm. So even if the guy approached him, he's not looking directly at his face. Correct. But because he leaves it on for that extra second, because he has to hold on to his programming just for that extra few seconds, we end up in the situation we end up with in this episode. Also, shout out to Pedro Pascal's eyes. So, like, in addition to being just absolutely gorgeous, which they are, I could I could stare into them for hours. <laughs> okay. They're beautiful. Watch carefully the way his eyes move in this episode. Okay. Because the way his eyes move back and forth in this sequence and the next sequence, they are looking around like he is still wearing the mask.
0: Oh, interesting. They
1: don't do a lot of, like, vertical, like, they mostly go side to side and up and down so they it's he's so used to the visor that
0: oh interesting
1: he it doesn't even process in his brain to look a different way
0: mm-hmm.
1: or he'll I, like he'll turn his whole head There's oh, sequences see. later on when when they're sitting at the table he will turn his whole head to look at like mayfeld because if he were looking if he were in the helmet he would have had to do that the peripheral doesn't go over far enough for him to do that or he's so used to that being his quote-unquote face like pedro pascal's acting in this scene not only the facial expressions he does of, of how uncomfortable and conflicted he is but the way his face like the way he moves his head and moves his eyes unbelievable
0: yeah
1: did you guys in your major because our majors were slightly complicated uh, when we were in school but as part of mine I had to take an acting class did multiple acting classes did you have to take any acting classes
0: no so the only reason why though was because I think was because they didn't offer any at our location so it wasn't yes required.
1: yeah we when I was doing my first major we had uh the performing arts building right Got there it. and uh so we were required to take a bunch of acting classes as part of my major. And in the very first exercise, the very first one, they were like, bring in a scene from a movie or TV show that like highlights good acting. Now I picked the, the Cersei Lannister and uh, Robert Baratheon scene from the first season of Game of Thrones where they're sitting across the table from each other. Uh, but in hindsight, if this had come out, I would have picked this because this is one of the best Like physical acting jobs I've ever seen in my entire life. That was a tangent, but holy fucking shit, it's so good.
0: (laughs) He's so good. I will say the character, like, he knows the character so well in the body language because he's had to do it so much in, you know, the whole entire character is body language. It has nothing to do with facial expression whatsoever. So it, the sheer fact that he can still do like the true body language, even when the mask is off and he can still be that character. You still know it's the same guy.
1: While undergoing the discomfort of having to take the helmet off. Like,
0: God, it's, it's so good. Just as Mando gets the information he needs, he is confronted by Imperial officer Valen Hess. Mayfield interjects before Mando screws up the plan. They sit down and have a drink while Mayfield brings up the past. After a toast to the empire, Mayfield shoots Hess with a blaster, exposing them.
1: We'll run through the the little Easter eggs first before we get to the meat. Um, okay. Mayfield mentions Tanab. He pronounces it Tanab uh, <laughs> because Bilber is about as bad as we are at right. pronouncing things correctly. Uh, this being the site of the battle where Lando pulled off some sort of incredible maneuver that's referenced in Return of the Jedi. Okay. Mayfeld also references TPS reports. Bradley, I don't know if you'd get this reference. Uh, I had to look up specifically what movie it's from. I recognized it, but I had to check. Okay. Uh, it's from Office Space. It's a reference it... to Office Space. Oh,
0: was Bill Burr in that?
1: I don't think so. I don't know why they're referencing it. Uh, oh, okay. Bill Burr might've improvised it. Uh, either way, it's still really funny.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, Bird and Khan that's mentioned, uh, it's been mentioned a few times. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about it. And those those are my little Easter egg notes that don't spin off into something else. Okay. So a couple well, of fun be- little things in this scene.
0: So before we get into the meat of their conversation and the character of uh, the Imperial officer, let's talk about the actor who plays him real quick. Yeah, so uh, this actor's name is Richard Brake. Fun fact, he has been known for almost... A trifecta now um because he was in uh now he's in. he was in mandalorian uh but he was also in thor dark world um so he was randomly in that so he was in a marvel thing so now he just needs to get a disney thing and he's good to go um but another you brought it up just a second ago but he was also in game of thrones um he was in two episodes of game of thrones as the night king yes so
1: and I, I specifically took a note of that one because we've talked about game of Thrones right. on this show before yeah he was the night king in a couple of seasons and that's where I know him from that's all really I on, the,
0: on the guy but yeah you
1: know. this <laughs> love
0: this scene I love the choice to make his accent southern yeah he's almost like a um it's like a not I'm trying to figure out what kind of southern it is because it is a very particular kind of southern yes it's almost it like
1: almost it kind of reminds me of Uh, Like, if you watch media for the antebellum South, then he kind of reminds me of the kind of thing that a lot of actors would choose to do for that. So it's this kind of deep South, but like upper class deep South, right? where it's closer to the original British, because the Southern accent is actually just a continuation of related to the British accent. Right, 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 right i just love this choice
0: yeah it's almost because he gives you that racist you know slave owner vibe like he's yeah. also like it's so he's good very
1: like, much he's very much giving us like the south will rise again kind yes, of for sure like it's a different kind of smug ex-asshole who's clinging on to the past mm-hmm. like i just adore this choice
0: yeah. He's like some kind of like, he feels like he's like some kind of war hero. Like he's just right. been like Pat back in the day. He just, everything he's ever done was just like spitting gold. Like he's just constantly like, he's the, he's the gem of the empire.
1: You can see why this guy got left behind. Right. You For can sure. see why this guy got left behind. No, it's, it's such a great smug asshole choice Mm-hmm. because it evokes a different kind of smug asshole than we're used to with the empire i also like i love the way he says heroes of the empire like when mayfeld challenges him and he's like mayfeld's like yeah thousands of people died well they're all heroes of the empire you right. know what it reminds me of director krennic in the opening
0: oh. of rogue one yeah, I can see that. I can see how it's like I, I guess the difference between him and Krennic is that Krennic is more I guess genuinely like smart, I guess I would say. Like he... Krennic
1: is deploying it's like looking at the language. Yeah. So we talk about the language that, that people use. Krennic is using it with the full knowledge of what he's doing. Right, Krennic right. is manipulating Galen Urso. If you read Catalyst, you know that Krynik is a hardcore manipulator when it comes to Galen Urso. so he's trying to manipulate him when he's when he's like uh, as heroes of the Empire uh, or whatever he says. Yeah, Whereas it's this sarcastic. guy, yeah, 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 this guy has just heard the term and is deploying it whenever he feels like it's appropriate. Right. I think they pronounced the name Valenhes in the episode. Uh, I'm going to say Valen probably several times in this conversation. because that's how I would
0: say it. I don't know why if so, that's right. But that's so how not
1: only is Valen a major character in two of the older public expansions,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but I played a character in a series of Star Trek fan films. Now, I don't know shit about Star Trek, but I was living in the middle of Alabama at the time, and there were not a lot of opportunities to act on a regular basis, and I love acting, um, but I played a character named Lieutenant Valen, and this is how we spelled his name. Hmm. So okay. I look at this name and I'm like, Ah, yes, this is me. Now, Bradley, let's let's talk a little bit about Operation Cinder.
0: Yes let's because i did something this episode
1: (laughs) what did you do this episode that is is a departure from everything we've done for eight months um
0: so i I guess i can call it research i mean you know i didn't to be fair i didn't read anything i didn't look up anything on wikipedia i just purely typed in operation sender on youtube and the first thing that came up, or the second or third thing that came up, because you know there's a couple like weird fanboy stuff explaining what it is, then there's mm-hmm. an actual simplified thing that I like much better, which was just all the cutscenes from Battlefront to put together of what Operation Cinder is.
1: There's there's a bunch of there's a bunch of fans explaining things and also Alex Damon explaining things in a good simple way. So I know Alex Damon, Star Wars Explained, does have a video on Operation Cinder. Uh, maybe maybe operating. I'll watch that one too. Yeah, he's he's yeah. really good at. There's a reason I keep bringing him up on the show because him and Molly, his wife, are really good at yeah. putting out content that's very accessible. But yes, Bradley has actually now visually seen what Operation Cinder looks like.
0: Yeah, because the way it was explained to me, I think you kind of slightly explained it a couple episodes ago just not to like ruin this moment here but you did kind of explain it a little bit um i think i didn't really quite understand it until i watched the video and there are some really cool things by the way in that yeah little cutscene so so for the uninitiated operation
1: cinder actually originated in the comic shattered empire and the battlefront 2 story campaign is almost kind of an adaptation or like a side story of Shattered Empire because a lot of what happens in Shattered Empire forms a lot of the early plot of Battlefront 2. Shattered Empire I have read and both of us have seen Battlefront 2. So the way it worked is that the Empire had these like climate control satellites and their thing is that they were meant to disrupt the climate uh, and basically scorched earth the planet. Like they would kill everyone on it due to this, like, extreme climate disruption. They successfully pulled it off a few places. They tried it on Naboo, but it didn't work. <laughs> they were able to save Naboo. But yes, that is that is what this is. But I think the episode, Delta does a really good job of conveying, just from the name and the death toll, yeah. how horrifying Operation Cinder actually was. And the thing is, Valenhes says... You know, here's a guy who knows his history. When I first watched this episode, I was like, dude, Operation Cinder was like last week. Then I checked it. No, Operation Cinder was basically right after the events of Return of the Jedi. So it was eight to nine years ago. Hess isn't probably used to dealing with people who've been in the Empire for that long.
0: Right. Because they're kind of, they cycle it through really quickly this a little really surprised when point, somebody yeah.
1: brings up Operation Cinder. And like the way they're clearly spinning it is these people were sacrifices for the Empire. Mm -hmm. but yes Bradley what did you think of this sequence now knowing like when you watched it originally Mm -hmm. versus when you um when you watch it now having visually seen what Operation Cinder does to a planet
0: so I it definitely makes it much more extreme I think they they really did I think this scene in particular actually does almost a better job than the cutscene does of just like conveying how bad it was. Because I think like, you know, in video games, it can kind of get a little gloss if you're not playing the video game. Like just the cutscenes alone are not necessarily like gonna do it justice. So I right. think, you know, I, I can't get the full effect from just the cutscenes, but at least I got to visually see kind of some of it. But with I think with this with especially with Mayfield, how the tension of this scene is slowly rising from the beginning of their conversation, where he's kind of like Pretending to compliment him to kind of like slowly but surely like resenting him by the end of the conversation and boiling to the point of killing him. That to me is much more impactful and explaining a why how bad this was.
1: Because Mayfield is the one that brings it up. Mayfield right. is the one that brings it up, and <laughs> dude is looking over and I'm like, "Don't, don't do this."
0: Yeah, he's like, "You're Stop you're it, talking
1: dude. about this." Yeah, for me, like the minute they brought it up you know because i had played battlefront 2 and at the time i hadn't read shattered empire i have now when they brought it up i was like oh oh this explains why Mayfeld deserted like in two words the minute he brings this up uh i have two more notes for this sequence and then i promise we'll move on (laughs) uh well two and a half notes for this sequence uh I want to talk about the rise of the first order. Because. Oh, that line, yes. Hess says, he talks about how people want stability, and in the end, they're going to come back to us. They want order, and they will come back to us. Uh, he specifically says, order. they will come back to order, or something like that, to which I'm like, hmm. First, He accurately predicts what is going to happen. And if you watch the first season of Star Wars Resistance, which, Bradley, I know that you've not done that um, because you have no taste uh, the first. No, I
0: I, I think I finished the first season. I couldn't finish the second season, I think.
1: So if you watch the first season in back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back, which is my recommended way of doing it, And you really can see how their plan is use the pirates to destabilize the Colossus so that the first order can come in and provide quote unquote security Mm. to the platform. That's how they managed to do it. So I find Hess's line extremely interesting in this scene where he accurately predicts that's how the first order is going to do it. Uh, My other two, one and a half notes. uh, I want to bring up, just how fucking proper Hitchcock this scene is like Hitchcock in terms of the suspense of it it's a very like the bomb under the table scene you know what it reminded me of The it wasn't a Hitchcock film but you know what this reminded me of what was uh have you seen Inglorious Bastards no there's a scene from Inglorious Bastards it's about 10 minutes long 15 minutes long of them like the british spies sitting at a table with the german officers and talking and it's this very intense scene this reminds me of that so if you haven't seen it it's very difficult to explain but for people who have seen it this is what that reminds me of uh my final note on this sequence and we're blasting through to the end the bit where mayfeld like hands him the helmet back and says you did what you had to do and then turns his head away. Right. So that he's not looking at Mando any more than he absolutely has to. That was a, a powerful moment for me.
0: Yeah, it was almost like he was trying to be respectful of Mando's predicament. Like, like he doesn't understand the rules and he thinks Mando is being like wishy-washy with the rules, but he also is trying to respect his rules. Like he's like, I'm not gonna look at your face. Like I know I saw it, but like. I'll just pretend like I never saw it. Like It's not a big deal. It's almost kind of like a,
1: now that you have actually done this and demonstrated how difficult this is for you, I'm going to ease off a little bit. Right. Because when it's in the abstract and Mando would never do it, Mayfeld's perfectly fine mocking him and and bullying him about it. Then when Mando demonstrates exactly what it means for him to have to do it, Mayfeld's like, Okay, I I kind of understand how uncomfortable this is for you. I'm going to be more respectful of it. It's great character development.
0: With the help of the Mando crew, the pair are able to escape from the base, but not before Mayfield blows up the refinery with a single shot. TIE fighters come after the crew on Boba's fire spray class ship, but he is ready for them as he releases seismic charges from the prequel movies that make the best sound ever and destroy the TIE fighters.
1: Uh, so the interesting thing about the rifle that Mayfeld uses to blow up the Rhydonium. Mm-hmm. it's a Tusken Raider rifle. It's it's Boba Fett's Tusken Raider rifle that we see all the way back in season two, oh. episode one.
0: Nice.
1: Here's the thing about it: it fires real bullets.
0: Oh.
1: Uh, if you want, if you listen carefully to the sound effect, yeah, uh, that's not a laser.
0: Oh, that's an actual
1: gunshot that he's firing. Huh.
0: That kind of makes. little more sense then because like i think with the blaster rifles you know when they use lasers or whatever i think that if from that distance maybe that wouldn't have been remotely as effective as
1: effective
0: right no physical object yeah
1: he gets that thing with a bullet wow okay which he was a sharpshooter so yeah
0: and i like how fennec and uh kara are both like Ha! Huh, nice job nice shot like this is a good one. like I nice like <laughs> nice
1: i mean either of us could have done that yeah they're like which, we could have done that yeah which I, I it almost felt a little inconsistent to me so Kara's shooting like a sniper
0: mm-hmm.
1: but her role in the rebellion was she was a drop trooper so i'm kind of wondering what her training was that she's able to do this sniping because Sniping from this far away is a very specific skill set, right? So, that was just a, a minor thing that I had when I was watching it. I was like, "Wait, isn't she a drop trooper? Yeah, like isn't her whole thing like shock Ooh. and all? Like, how is how maybe she had more training or practiced on her own that we don't know about?" But right. Probably it might've been explained later. It never will be. So I'm not going to bother with it. Last note I have for this scene is, uh, is the Sonic mine. I love the Sonic
0: mine. I absolutely. When I tell you that when that happened, the first time I saw this, I almost peed my pants because I (laughs) love two things. One, I think that that scene from attack of the clones is so cool when he does that with the charges uh, in um, when, uh, what is it, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi's chasing uh, Django in yes. his ship. Um, the sound that the charges make when they're silent for like one second and then they make that like boom sound. Oh, this is just, like sound design, like just excellent quality. It's fan service,
1: but it's fan service. It's pandering to uh, our generation specifically, which I'm A-OK with. My exactly. bias is showing here.
0: Next up, the team reconvene and comment on the fact that it was a shame Mayfield died during the incursion on the refinery. He walks away a free man, and the Slave one departs the planet in pursuit of the finale episode.
1: Yeah, so I'm curious whether or not Mayfield will be back for the next season. Because his story ends pretty conclusively here, Mm -hmm. if if you need it to. If you need this to be the for Mayfeld it's it's a pretty
0: good one that's pretty solid I mean it only the only thing I thought about was which I hate when they do this in Star Wars is that why do they do this thing where they abandon people on a fucking planet <laughs> like I don't understand like with no way to get off right like so it's almost like as if you were to travel to another country with like your friend and then be like well you're free go on live your life and then, like, you leave the planet in the, uh, or you leave the country in the only plane available, and they have no money and no job and no passport. And so it's like, all right, you're a new person now. They go do this, live your they life. They do
1: this a lot where they just, like, <laughs> drop people on random planets and they're like, right. go nuts! Uh, that's what they do to Ray. Right. They it's just kind
0: of. got
1: they well, they sell her to Uncar Plot and they're like, go nuts, we'll be back, and then they're not. Right. The only thing, like, like, this would be my headcanon if he doesn't show up. I like the idea that, that Mayfeld, the character, because he talks about we see the villagers midway through the episode. I like the idea that that he might go back and like try to help them rebuild uh, since the refinery yes. is gone. Like maybe if we see him in season three, we'll see him like in that context. But also if we if we don't see him back in season three, his story is this is a have pretty decent conclusion for it he's he's gotten his he's gotten out of his system what he needed to get out of his system his Mm -hmm. arc as a character can basically be said to be done here
0: yeah and you could you could also argue too that he's kind of you know he's atoned for his sins essentially right right because his last final act you know before he was leaving this you know planet was to blow up the refinery so that the uh not i was going to say the coaxium um the uh Whatever the right bullshit,
1: Dominion. like, what, yeah, whatever of the week we're gonna be using <laughs> for our plot,
0: right? His final act was to blow that up so it couldn't be used uh, against anybody else, so the Empire had no, like, you know, use for it. I just thought that was nice. In a last, almost end credit like scene, we see Moff Gideon aboard his cruiser with a FaceTime voicemail from the Mandalorian informing Gideon that he messed with the wrong daddy.
1: Yeah, your millennial is showing. <laughs> or are you? You're a millennial, right? Are you millennial or Gen Z? No, I'm
0: millennial. You're millennial.
1: Your millennial is showing. It's it's a Skype call. That's called a Skype call.
0: Oh my god!
1: That that was a shout out to what what was it? Uh, we, one we of the Bad Batch it. episodes. Yeah. You got on I mean, my case. So I feel like I have to point out that that is a Skype call, right? Or a Zoom call, or God, we have so many voice calls I know. now. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the same speech from season one that yeah. Mando gives. I didn't catch that the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. But going back, I'm like, oh, yeah, that is basically the same speech with minor alterations.
0: Does Moff say that when he's like stepping out or something? I feel like Moff Gideon yeah yeah when
1: when he steps out in an episode
0: like when his tie fighter lands i think and then he comes out fighter lands and he's doing his speech they're hiding the bar and he's like kind of i think that's what he said yeah it's the same
1: speech you have something i want Mm -hmm. you may have some idea you may think you have some idea what you're in possession of but you do not he means more to me than you could possibly know it's the same speech that he gives
0: gotcha that's a nice touch I I just love Gideon's face during this whole scene. Yeah, it's like almost it's almost like annoyed, but also <laughs> like not not worried because I don't feel that it's annoyed, Gideon's
1: but worried. also yes. kind of impressed.
0: Yeah, he's kind of like, oh, huh, using my own words against me. I see how it is.
1: I game game respect game. I see what yeah. you're doing here. Right, Giancarlo Esposito uh, is supposed to be in more of season three than he has been in previous seasons, uh, which is excellent. I will be delighted to see more of him because he is such an asshole. Just such a smug asshole in this series. And I I love him. He is wonderful. Uh, Yeah, his his face journey as Mando speaking is just note perfect. Of course. I have a fun fact to close out before we go into uh, some of the production stuff. I didn't notice this. A source had to point this out to me that I was reading but this is the first episode of the Mandalorian and the only episode of the Mandalorian to not have Grogu in it. Oh, Grogu does not appear on screen a single time in this episode.
0: But he's in every other episode.
1: He's in every other episode.
0: Huh. You kind of wonder why they wouldn't have just done like a quick, like him in prison, kind of sitting there crying or something. You know what I mean? Like just throw it in there.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's the first one he's not in. Huh. True story. Yeah, so now that I've ruined your day, um, <laughs> just, let's talk. We made it all the way to the end of the episode without mentioning who wrote and directed the episode. Good, I, finally. We stayed on format this time. Bradley, who who wrote and directed this episode?
0: Okay, again, here we go, trying to pronounce things that we don't know how to pronounce. Um, it was written and directed by Rick Thamayewa. Famuyiwa, I think, is how you pronounce the name. Famuyiwa. Yiwa
1: is how you pronounce the last name. Uh, But what is notable about uh, Rick Famuyiwa?
0: Well, he directed and wrote the Prisoner episode back in season one, which directly has our uh, Migs Mayfield character in it. So that's a little fun fact. Uh, Funny enough, he also directed episode two of the season one, which is The Child, um and i have one last fun fact about him he actually has the most directing credits on the mandalorian besides dave and he has the most writing credits besides john so it's a weird like does
1: dave have more directing credits than john yes how many directing credits does john have
0: I thought um, I, you know what? I didn't look up their specific like numbers. I just said that because John has the most out of anybody for um writing. And then Dave has s- technically the most um for directing. So it's just Dave like a
1: directed nice... Dave directed uh one episode of season one and two episodes of season two. He directed uh the Marshall and the Jedi. Right. Oh, so man. I was just
0: going, I was just trying to like exclude them from like the number count because I don't count John and I don't count uh Dave as like in the like the most. Because you know, they're you know they're basically showrunners. They don't they don't count for me. Yes, so, Rick, so anybody Rick extra, of the
1: of the non-showrunners, yes, right. Rick has the most.
0: He has the most, right. So that's that just a fun, fact. a
1: fun fact.
0: Yeah. Um, which I thought was interesting because and then I think next is Deborah, is she's uh Deborah Chow Deborah Chow after that. So,
1: although in terms of directing Star Wars episodes, excluding Dave, Deborah's about to blow oh, yeah, all yeah, of yeah. these yeah. other people out of the water because she's directing all six right. episodes of Kenobi, which, oh boy.
0: Right. Which, I, which is great.
1: That is dedication right there.
0: It'll feel like a movie because of that.
1: She's like directing a six hour, seven hour movie.
0: Yeah, that's what it like, kind of is going to be like.
1: Did she even direct anything this season?
0: No, I don't think so.
1: No, I think she might have been working on Kenobi. I think she
0: was. I think she was. Yeah, I think she was in pre-pro when they were doing uh, season two production. Mando so. season two. Um, where do you rank this on your list?
1: Yes, uh, we have to do the obligatory ranking. So I think uh, number one is going to be still the Jedi. Same. Number two, the heiress. Same. Number three, the Marshall. Same. Uh, then I would say the tragedy. Okay. Then I would say the believer. Then I would say the passenger. Then I would say the siege.
0: Okay, so I think based on my have view we changed of this one? Have I we think we finally we finally, finally, we finally where, split where
1: we didn't rank them quite a hundred percent the same.
0: I think I like this one more than I like the tragedy. Really? Yeah, even though the tragedy has some of the. Best Fenix Shan stuff in it. I I don't know. I think just because of all of the character stuff in this one, I like. I think I hold character development over action sequence. And whereas this one has really good action sequence, it has the character development. Whereas the tragedy doesn't have both.
1: What put it over for me is like if if you had asked me to rank them before we did these in depth rewatches, I would have probably had the same ranking as you. Yeah. But the Boba Fett character development and the way he's handled in the tragedy and the way they establish what his character is going to be going forward put it just just above the believer for me. And also the action sequences and the way that showed off the characterization like the bit where Mando like flips around to deflect the bolt so Finnick can es- like escape and move to a better position like all that just puts it slightly above the believer for me they're super close nice. but yes seven episodes into this show we have finally got a difference So <laughs>
0: finally split
1: okay although I feel like we're gonna be wildly different in, in the
0: finale I don't know how to feel about the finale yet I mean I haven't rewatched it yet uh, as of this point for even remotely commenting on it but I <sighs> I don't know because I don't know if you can if you can give it the Rogue One treatment and be like well this part you know there's parts of it that are so good that you have to put it up there but then there's also like obviously it's just a basic ass you know fucking episode so it's hard to our, say. Our guest for next week
1: had a very different reaction to it than I did okay. and so I am very excited to get them on to talk about their perspective. And that is all I am going to say about next week's episode.
0: Great. Okay. Well, good. That's a good teaser for the season finale. For That's
1: sure. a good teaser for there's our little, st- our moth Gideon stinger is there we've got go. a very exciting guest next week. Awesome.
0: Well, is there any final thoughts you have?
1: Uh, I do not have any final thoughts. We can end this fucking episode. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, until next time.
0: Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze.
1: Did we forget something? Email us at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Gold Squad gaze, And you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at goldsquadrongaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post this podcast as well as exclusive video content.
0: Please join us next week and every week for another episode of Gold Squadron Gaze.
1: Turn off my notifications. Uh, We definitely do not need my grinder going off in the middle of recording as on brand as that would be right.